This is Reverend Kirk Lawton, minister at Ocean Lakes Family Campground, and this is our podcast. Our prayer is that this message may enrich your life as you find God especially meaningful to you. Thank you for worshiping with us. Good morning, and welcome once again to our worship service from Ocean Lakes Family Campground here in Myrtle Beach. Today, I'm holding in my hand a book that has a lot of stories in it about miracles. Of course, that book is called the Bible. The Bible is a book of miracles. One of the most familiar of all the miraculous acts of God recorded in the pages of the Bible in the Old Testament is the story of how God opened up the waters of the Red Sea and how he allowed Moses and all his people to pass through on dry land. This story is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 14, verses 21 and 22. Let me read those, just just those two verses to refresh our memory about that miraculous story. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea upon the dry ground, and the waters were a wall unto them on their right hand and on their left. This story is a favorite story of of many children. It's also a story that has been often debated by skeptics, those who have tried to discount the truthfulness of this story. You probably heard some of the anecdotes that have emerged out of this story, including this one. A little boy came home one day, one Sunday from Sunday school, and he was asked by his parents what the teacher had taught him that morning in Sunday school at church. Little boy explained that the Sunday school lesson that day had been about Moses crossing the Red Sea. And the parents, the mom said, well, son, tell us what your teacher, what the story was all about. She wanted to see how much he had retained of that story. So the little boy said, mama, uh, when Moses and the Hebrews got to the edge of the Red Sea, uh, they heard Pharaoh's army closing in behind them. And so Moses got on his uh, cell phone and he called the Marines, and the Marines quickly got on a big 747 jumbo jet, and they flew over to Egypt. They quickly erected a steel bridge over that water, and Moses and all his people then were able to cross over on that steel bridge that the Marines had erected. But then, Mama, he said, when Pharaoh and all his of chariots and everybody got right to the middle of that bridge chasing Moses and his people. When they got right on top of that bridge, Moses got back on his phone again and he called the astronauts out in Houston and uh, they, they flew over there. They jumped in an airplane or something and they, they blasted off and they flew over that bridge and when they got there, they dropped bombs on that bridge and Pharaoh and all his army were destroyed, Mama. About that time, the mother said, Now, son, you know your Sunday school teacher didn't tell you that story like that. I know, said the little boy, but mama, if I told you like my teacher told it, you would never believe it. Well, do you believe it happened? Or how do you believe it happened? Do you believe that God divided the waters literally? 
I just mentioned a moment ago that this, this story has been a happy hunting ground for many so-called intellectual people who try to explain it away by saying that it really didn't happen like it says in the Bible. You, you can't trust what the Bible says about that story, they say. One story I heard was about a professor in a college somewhere who was explaining to his class that Moses didn't, didn't really cross over in, on dry land. He said that the water where they crossed over running from Pharaoh and his army, that water was uh, only about ankle deep. It was not deep water. And as Professor continued to give that explanation, one student back at the back of the classroom said, uh, Amen, brother. Hallelujah. Well, the professor was not accustomed to having amens to his lectures. And so he was rather stunned at that response from the boy in the back of the room. So he said, son, why are you so happy with what I've said? Uh, I thought you were one of those narrow people who believed in miracles still. The young student replied, well, sir, if what you have just said is true, then that's an even greater miracle than the parting of the Red Sea as the Bible has it. The professor said, what do you mean, son? The student explained, well, sir, if, if what you just told us is true, that means that the whole Egyptian army was drowned in only six inches of water. Yes, I believe in miracles. The Bible has so many miracles in it, and every one of them is a true accounting of what has happened. We have the same God today that they had back then. God is still in the miracle business. He still has power today that he had back then. I believe the day of miracles by no means has passed. Yes, I hope you believe in miracles too. But there are so many examples in the scripture. I wish we had time this morning just to look through at all of these. Times when the Bible tells us that God parted the waters for people and worked miracles. Let me give you just a few examples. You remember Daniel thrown into the den of lions, but the next morning when the king arrived just to see the remnants of Daniel or the bones may be left, the king heard Daniel speaking in the, out of the den of lions and Daniel said to the king, my God has sent his angel and has shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me. Daniel 6, verse 22 is where we read that. In the book of Acts, over in the New Testament, chapter 12, we read the story where God divided the waters for Peter by delivering him from jail. It's a fascinating story. It's found in Acts chapter 12. Let me just read that very quickly. It's, a, it's an amazing story of how God worked a miracle for Peter. Beginning with uh, verse 7. Suddenly there was a light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood beside Peter. The angel slapped him on the side to awaken him, and he said, Quick, get up. And the, ch and the chains fell off his wrists. They passed the first and the second cell blocks and came to the iron gate leading to the street and this opened to them of its own accord. So they passed through and walked together for a block, and then the angel left him." A miracle. God divided the waters by releasing Peter from prison. Uh, one of our missionaries 
uh, told about a meeting of the time when he and his wife were serving in Vietnam, seeking to spread the good news of Jesus to the Vietnamese people. On one occasion, he said the Viet Cong broke into his home. They bound him with ropes and they were preparing to molest his wife, not knowing what to do and feeling totally helpless. This man, the missionary, shouted to these enemy, in the name of Jesus, you let my wife alone. The report is from the missionary that the Viet Cong suddenly became very silent. They appeared to be very confused. And after a few moments, they walked out of the house and disappeared into the jungle. God divided the waters. You, you couldn't convince that missionary that God did not divide the waters for him. There's so many ways in which we see not only in Bible times, but also in our own day when God has divided the waters. Let me tell you another uh, illustration of how God divided the waters for one person. Diane, a young Christian university student, was home for the summer. She had gone to visit some of her friends one evening, and the time passed very quickly as she and the, her girlfriends shared some happy experiences they had had in the past. And she ended up staying longer at her girlfriend's house than she planned to. And she had to walk home alone. She didn't have an automobile or anything, but it wasn't very far to have to walk. She was not afraid because it was just a small town where they lived, and, and she lived only a few blocks away. As she walked along that evening, rather late that evening, under the tall elm trees, Diane asked God, just prayed a prayed a little silent prayer, God, please keep me safe from harm and danger. When she reached an alley, which was uh, just a shortcut over to her where her house was, she decided she'd take that alley and cut off a little walking time. But about halfway down that alley as she was walking, she noticed a man standing at the far end as if he were waiting for her. She became very uneasy. She began to pray again very sincerely this time, also asking for God's protection in that moment. Instantly, Diane said, a, a feeling of comfort and quietness, security, just seemed to wrap around her and she felt as if somebody were walking with her in that alley. When she reached the end of that alley where the man was standing, she walked right past him and she arrived home safely. Two days later, Diane read a news article in the newspaper that a girl had been raped in that very same alley just 20 minutes after Diane had been there. She felt overwhelmed at this news and she began to weep, thanking the Lord for her safety and also praying for that other young woman. She decided she would go to the police station. She felt that if she could recognize that man, she would maybe that would help in the investigation. So she told them of her story, of how she walked right past a man the police asked her if she'd be willing to look at a lineup of men standing up there to see if she could identify that man she saw. She agreed to that and immediately she pointed out the man she had seen in the alley the night before. When the man was told that he had been identified positively, he immediately broke down and confessed what he had done. 
the officer, the police officer, thanked Diane for her bravery. And they said, Diane, is there anything we can do for you? She said, yes, uh, I have one question. She was curious as to why the man had not attacked her. She asked the policeman, would you ask him why he left me alone? And so the police asked him that question. His answer, because she was not alone. When she was walking toward me, she had two tall men walking on either side of her. You would not be able to convince Diane that there are no miracles. For her, God divided the water. But the subject of what I want to share with you today is not times when God divides the water, but what happens when God does not divide the water. Sometimes we have a miraculous, victorious, wonderful experience when God has opened up, divided the water for us. But what about when that does not happen? Just as it's hard for some people to accept the reality of miracles, likewise, it's hard for some people, particularly for Christian people, to accept the fact that there are times when God does not divide the waters. Let me tell you about a man named James. We read about him in the Bible. He's a brother of John. Jesus called these two men from their fishing trade to be his disciples. James, you may remember, was one of the 12, 12 disciples, but he was also one of what's called the three, the inner circle of Jesus' disciples. James was present at the transfiguration of Jesus, a miraculous, marvelous event when Jesus' clothes became bright and just, uh, he was transfigured before them. James was also present in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus the night before he was crucified. Surely James knew about Jesus' power to work miracles because he had been allowed to watch one day when Jesus literally raised from death the daughter of Jairus. There came a time, though, when King Herod decided he wanted to move against the Christians and persecute them. We can rest assured that back in those days, not just James and the disciples, but the whole church, the Christian church, was earnestly in prayer for all of these apostles who were prime targets for the persecution from Herod. I read a few moments ago from Acts chapter 12, about the account of how Peter uh, was miraculously freed from prison. Verse five of that same chapter tells us very plainly, prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him, that's for Peter. But what happened to James? King Herod had James put to death with a sword. God did not divide the waters for James. Over in Acts chapter 7, there's another place where we're introduced to another man. His name was Stephen, one of the great deacons of the early church. Stephen had great courage, great compassion. He loved Jesus, had a burning desire down in his heart to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus with other people. Stephen was a pillar of strength, and he must have had a, been a tremendous in, in, inspiration to other believers. On one occasion when Stephen boldly proclaimed the message of Jesus before the ruling council, 
They mobbed him. They covered their ears. They drowned out his voice with their shouts. And they dragged him out of the city to stone him to death. As he died, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he also prayed another phrase, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Reminds us of Jesus' words on the cross, doesn't it? For Stephen, the waters were not divided. Let me ask you, have there been times in your life, even maybe right now for you, when you have felt that God has not divided the waters? What's been your reaction? Some people feel a sense of guilt. And that guilt sometimes may come from disillusionment. Disillusion is always the child of illusion. What is illusion? Illusion is a dream, a fantasy, up in the sky, no substance to it particularly. That's an illusion, just a false idea we have. And when that illusion is punctured, then we are disillusioned. I believe if, it's, if we come to God and say, God, I want you to do something for me, and, and you've got to do it. That's an illusion. God's never promised that. And when God doesn't produce, then we are disillusioned. Some people say, well, if you have enough faith, you can ask God for anything, and he'll give it to you. My friends, I think it's a warped interpretation of the Scripture to think that if you used exactly the right words, the correct word formula, and saying, okay, God, I want you to do this, and I'm asking for this in Jesus' name, then you can expect to have your desires granted just as you wish. In my opinion, I believe it comes very close to blasphemy to think that we can push God into a corner and we can make demands of God simply by saying, all right, God, you've promised now, you better deliver because I'm asking for this in Jesus' name. Well, praying in Jesus' name means a lot more than appears on the surface. It involves a total submission of our will to the perfect will of God, whether we understand God's will or not. That's what it means when we pray in Jesus' name. And even in times when we do pray and use that phrase, in Jesus' name, there are simply times when God does not divide the waters. Those who suffer under the illusion that God has given them a blank check, you can put any request, you, any human request you want there. God will do it. That's an illusion. And those who believe like that are setting themselves up for disillusionment. The fact is that sometimes God does not divide the waters. I've heard people say, well, that may be so, but you know what? The amount of faith that a person has, that's the big issue. Well, let me say something that may be controversial to some people. The amount of faith that you possess is not a surefire guarantee that God is always going to divide the waters either. Look again at Stephen, that great Christian martyr. In the sixth chapter of Acts, uh, that, that tells about the stoning of Stephen. In the sixth chapter, uh, we read another passage there where it tells about the choosing of the, the first deacons. There were six who were chosen first. 
And of those six, only one of them was singled out with descriptive adjectives. That was Stephen. The scripture says in Acts chapter 6, verse 5, that Stephen was, quote, a man full of faith, full of faith, and of the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. Also, that's repeated just a few verses later in verse 8. And then again in the seventh chapter of Acts, just to be sure we didn't miss it, Luke uh, continues by saying, but he, that is Stephen, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven. So you see, there was no question about it. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. A person can be full of faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, and yet there are times in that person's life when God does not divide the waters. This is exactly the way it was with Stephen. But I think there's a better example for us in the scripture. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Matthew 26, verse 39. The cup meant crucifixion. Jesus knew it. It was a torture chamber. He didn't look forward to going to the cross, not really. And he prayed to be delivered from that. However, Jesus realized that it was not the Father's ideal will to remove that cross. For Jesus, the waters were not divided. And on the cross, our Savior cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Are you facing a Red Sea in your life? Maybe you've prayed earnestly. You have prayed in all the faith that you know how to muster for God to part the waters for you. And it still hasn't happened yet. God has not divided the waters. Then what? Here comes a beautiful truth. When God does not divide the waters, he gives you strength to stand on the shore. You remember Paul in the Bible begged God to remove that thorn in the flesh, whatever that was. He prayed three times. I think it's more like 3,000 times he prayed that. Three is a perfect number, so to speak. But God did not divide the waters for him. He didn't work a miracle and he didn't remove that thorn in the flesh. God did something better for Paul. He gave Paul the strength to stand on the shore. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect or complete in your weakness, Paul. Several years ago, many lives were blessed here in the Myrtle Beach area when David Wilkerson came. He wrote The Cross and the Switchblade, other books, Great Servant of the Lord. He came and held a crusade here in Myrtle Beach in the convention center. This man, David Wilkerson, opened up his heart to us and he revealed during that one week a suffering, burdened, agonizing servant of God. Even as he preached for us here in Myrtle Beach, David's wife lay in a hospital room out in Texas where she was suffering with anxiety and a near nervous breakdown. He told us about many friends who had come to visit her and had stood at the bedside when she was there in the bed and David, the husband, was standing beside her bed. And many of these friends had advised them to just, just have more faith. 
You, you need to believe that everything's going to be all right, and if you do that, then everything's going to be fine. But David Wilkerson told us, I came to the place where I decided I was not going to allow those well-intentioned people to place additional guilt on my wife. What they were really saying was that if she did not get better, it was because we or, or she did not have enough faith. And the longer she remained sick, the heavier her burden of guilt became. David Wilkerson revealed what I think was great submission to the Lordship of Jesus Christ when he told us that he and his wife had come closer to the Lord and closer to each other through all these months of suffering that she had to endure. And he said, I doubt that that ever would have happened if God had given us an instant, miraculous healing answer. Yes, here's a couple who found that when God does not divide the waters, he gives strength to stand on the shore. God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know, it may be God is using your weakness to prove his great strength in your life. In the year 1873, a man by the name of Horatio Stafford, a Spafford it was, planned a European voyage for his wife and his four daughters, along with his going to, to Europe. But at the last moment, because of business problems, Spafford uh, had to remain in the States. He couldn't travel with them by boat to, to Europe. So his wife and the four daughters embarked and, and they set out for Europe. But as they went on the, the ship, the SS Wildehaber, in November 1873, when they got way out in the Atlantic, a few days later, the Wildehaber was involved in a mid-ship, mid-sea accident with another ship. They ran together, and the Wildehaber sank to the bottom of the Atlantic in only 12 minutes. They didn't have the communications back then that we have, like cell phones and other things. They had a cable uh, message, and so Ms. Stafford, when she got to England, sent her husband a cable message. It had two words on it only. The words, saved alone. Immediately upon hearing this tragic news and knowing that his four daughters had drowned, although his wife was saved, Spafford left immediately as soon as he could book passage on a ship to bring his to meet his wife over in England. On the way there, Spafford made a request of the captain of the ship. Uh, I know you can't tell me exactly, he said, but when we reached the general area where approximately where where the Ville de Harbor went down, would, would you let me know that when we're there? And so at the proper time, the captain told Mr. Spafford, that they were now in the general vicinity of where his four daughters had perished. Spafford walked out on the deck of the ship, calm sea out there now. He, he gazed out at the sea. He reached into his pocket and he pulled out a pen, took a piece of paper, and he wrote on that paper these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way,
when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever, my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Yes, my friend, when God does not divide the waters for us, as we so often wish that he would, and we pray earnestly that he would divide the waters for us in the situation we're in, God has promised always to give us strength to stand on the shore. His grace is always sufficient for us. And with his help, you and I can say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Will you pray with me? Lord, you know our hearts, and you know how hard it is sometimes for us to say, yes, it's well, because we want instant answers. We want miracles. We want instant healing. And it's hard for us to wait on the Lord and to be of good courage and know that you will strengthen our heart. Father, we pray especially right now for those who have particular needs all during these days of the coronavirus when so many people have their lives turned upside down, days when it may not be the virus, but there are other situations that face so many of us. Lord, we need help that comes not from some other person, not even from a person on this earth, but help from above. So we pray, Lord, that we might experience the truth that your grace is sufficient for us. Lord, thank you for the realization that when you do not divide the waters for us, you do give us strength to stand on the shore. So may we experience that strength from you, we pray. And all this we ask in the strong, loving name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. We thank you so much for joining us as we worship here at Ocean Lakes Campground in Myrtle Beach.